Life is about attaining different goals, including financial ones. Whether it's saving for your first home, first car, your family, or retirement, you need to know how to get there. Welcome to All About Goals with host Tom White. Join Tom and his guest experts who will help you get there faster and the right way. Now, here is Tom White. Hello, and welcome to the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Today's episode is, is going to be all about investing, uh, changing it up a little from uh, uh, talking about specific goals, specific areas here to give, given a, a basic uh, rundown of investing, per, particularly for the long term. Uh, that's really where, in my mind, uh, investing applies. If we're talking about shorter term goals, it's more about kind of saving uh, in more stable uh, types of vehicles. But today, we'll, we'll talk longer term. So, always related to goals. In this case, long-term investing is, is uh, commonly associated with retirement, but also can be for college if it's for a younger uh, a child, but also in, in building wealth you know, beyond your kind of basic goals. So, we're going to talk about you know, how do you identify uh, potential investment opportunities. And here, particularly today, you know, it'll be about stocks, identifying specific companies to invest in for the long term. How do you identify them? Uh, what what are good companies to to invest in? How do you, you know, how do you uh, val- value them, particularly uh, in trying to estimate what they're going to be worth? You know, the stock in particular. Uh, you know, several years from now, we're going to use a five year time frame uh, uh, in this discussion. So. You know, hope uh, you'll learn a few things. Everybody, for the most part, who are active investors have uh, pretty much their their methods of of how to invest. And so, you know, I hope to to add a couple, two or three uh, uh, specific strategies, uh, methods uh, to hopefully your 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 toolbox um, if you aren't already uh, using it or had the experience. So we'll talk about how to identify a particular company, how to value uh, the stock uh, for a future price, kind of an exit point. And also we'll, we'll talk about uh, strategies such as arbitrage uh, when uh, one company purchases another. We'll also talk about IPOs, initial public offerings, uh, you know, w- how that's different from your traditional investing. And then uh, I've mentioned it in previous episodes, uh, uh, my kind of favorite is buying down. And we might even uh, dedicate a specific episode to, to the, the strategy of buying down, but we'll definitely touch into that today and share specific examples uh, that I've used for, for the, particularly those three uh, strategies in the last 20 plus years uh, uh, that I was managing money professionally. So for today, you know, we want to talk about stocks because for from my perspective, it's it's a skill set that inv- investors need to know, uh, rather than just you know investing in ETFs, mutual funds, which obviously is something that you need to be doing as well. But in building wealth, this is where individual securities uh, stocks uh, really comes in, and obviously going along with that is is a lot more volatility, a lot more risk. So having an idea how to do that is critical. So what do you look for, you know? Uh, in, in a potential company? Well, you know, first of all, the, the main thing is, is earnings, you know, profits. So when you're looking to invest in a company, you know, 
particularly a company that's been around for a while so that it has a track record, you want to look at earnings, you know, a company that's profitable and also company that its earnings have been growing. Now, what's interesting in the last, you know, year at this point is that, you know, with, with the market and the economy uh, being affected by the pandemic, you've had a lot of companies that, you know, are, have shown losses uh, in the last year. And that's why you got to look at a longer term track record. You got to look at companies that have been through ups and downs of, you know, what commonly called a full market cycle so that you know that this is a company that's able to weather the downturn and, you know, is able to uh, make adjustments to their business plan and, and uh, executing it. So that's the first thing is earnings. Second is, you know, a, a solid balance sheet. And I will use for purposes of, of, of uh, kind of referencing, you know, resources here is Morningstar. Uh, Morningstar.com, you can go to that. It's free. Obviously, uh, uh, they have a freemium model where you can uh, subscribe and, and get other things that, to pay for. But for the most part, uh, the information that's commonly available is free. So you go to Morningstar and then in the upper left, they've got a search box and you just put in uh, the, the company's uh, uh, ticker symbol. And we'll walk through a specific example today. We'll, we'll use Apple uh, just because it's, it's pretty much the, the most commonly held stock uh, uh, in the world. So most everybody owns it, uh, whether individually or especially through funds that they own. Uh, and, you know, go through an exercise of how to estimate what uh, potentially Apple stock could be worth in five years and what the potential return for that. So, you know, so on Morningstar.com, after you put in uh, uh, the ticker, then you uh, go to the financials and, and there's an overview where you can see income statement and then balance sheet. So something like Apple, for example, you know, uh, has over $350 billion in assets uh, and has debt, but the debt is uh, longer term and also is uh, uh, fairly manageable relative to the, the assets and cash that they have. And so Apple having over 76 billion in cash and about 112 in debt, and they've issued more debt because of low interest rates, uh, you know, they're, they're able to carry that. So you want to have a solid balance sheet with a company you're looking at where their assets are more than their debt. So that's total assets uh, greater than total debt. And, and in particular, Cash, total cash, hopefully, is also equal to or more than their current liabilities or current debt, meaning debt that's, you know, uh, due if not on an annual basis or short term to be able to manage their, their cash flow. And then towards the bottom of the balance sheet is uh, equity, total equity. You want to see that that's been growing over time. Obviously, in the last year or so, you're going to see a lot of companies, even big name companies, depending on the sector that or industry that they're in have, you know, uh, their equity gone down in the last year. So that's not uncommon. It's more about seeing that they've got other characteristics that are very favorable. And then the last thing in terms of identifying, uh, you know, a good prospective investment of a stock in a company is that they have positive cash flow, free cash flow, which means that after, you know, paying off, all of their expenses and so on, 
there's still extra money that they can reinvest, you know, increase their cash or make investments uh, for future products, things like that, you know, research and development. So you want to see positive free cash flow. And these are metrics that it's, that's easily identified in the financials uh, of companies and particularly, you know, with Morningstar uh, because it's free and I like how they organize uh, the statistics of companies uh, uh, on, you know, on their site, it's easy to find. Now, it's one thing to identify a good company, and you know, there, there are dozens out there. It's all about, because you're investing today, expecting a return you know, down the road, you know, whether it's five years, 10 years, you know, whatever it is. And so, just as you, you know what you're willing to pay or what you are paying for a stock you know, that you're investing, net, investing in now, you should have an idea as to what that price is that you expect or are shooting for to be able to get a return. Just as you know, if you're going to buy something for $10 a share, you need to know or have an expectation, okay, you know, I, I believe that this thing will be $13 a share. You know, or you know, twenty dollars a share. So you got to have an exit point. But to do that, you got to be able to calculate how how you're going to figure out what that price is. And so we'll go through kind of a simple yet you know fairly detailed formula that I've used for years in in you know establishing a target you know future price of a stock. And so hopefully you can follow through the steps here. And once again, you know, Morningstar is, is great in being able to, you know, derive these, uh, you know, metrics uh, that, that we're going to use in this, in this formula. Uh, and so, if you're on Morningstar, particularly starting out after you've put in the, the ticker symbol, there's going to be a, a, a button on there that says key ratios and, and you click on the key ratios. And the first kind of ratio or um, metric that we're going to use is calculating what the five-year revenue growth is of a particular company. You know, how has their revenue grown the last five years? Obviously, if you can go further than that, that's great because now you're going really with a full market cycle. Other than 2020 being, uh, you know, um, that major downturn uh, between March and August, it had been a long time that we actually had, you know, uh, a major downturn all the way back to 2009. So even at this point, 10 years isn't going to get us back to that. So you want to be able to get an average of what the last five years revenue growth is of that company. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll apply this formula to, to Apple uh, in our next segment. So calculate what the five-year revenue growth is. After that, you use that growth rate and estimate then what the revenue is going to be five years from now. So you kind of do a, f- a future value calculation, okay? Uh, so if, for example, you know, uh, you have a company with revenues of 100 you know, uh, million today and they have a five year, you know, five percent growth rate over five years. I mean, just just a, a simple uh, interest, you know, that gets you to twenty five percent. But obviously, it'll be more than that because of compounding. 
So you're looking, you know, north of 125 million in revenue five years from now. The third step is to calculate what the average, what's called net margin is. Net margin is ultimately what the company earns from their revenues after paying all of their expenses. So for example, if the company earned 100 million and had profits of 20 million net, then it's, you know, uh, it's a 20% net margin. And so we want to figure out what that average is over the last five years. Because that's going to tell you how profitable the company is and how consistent their profit margins have been. And so once you figure out what the average net margin is, once again, just like figuring out what the growth rate is the last five years of the revenue, we use that to then estimate what their income, net income is five years from now, because we'll apply that five-year average net margin to the revenue that we're estimating five years from now to come up with actual net income, you know, the actual profits. And so step four is then estimating, you know, what the net profit is going to be five years from now. Because if a company, say, is earning $20 million today, and based on what we're projecting with their revenue growth and average net margin five years from now, is going to earn $30 million, then we take that future net income of $30 million and divide it by the outstanding shares, number of outstanding shares. And if the number of outstanding shares, let's say, you know, is a million, then you come up w- with the average net income per share of $30 a share. Okay. Compare that to what the net income per share is today. Let's say, you know, uh, is, is $20 a share. We're estimating that $20 to go up to $30 five years from now. And then the second to the last step is we figure out what the average, what's called price to earnings ratio is, what that multiple is that's being applied to the earnings of the company to come up with the stock price. And so you take that $30 and if the average price earnings say is, is 10, that equates to a $300 per share stock price. If today the $20 per share in earnings is also uh, 10 to be consistent, then we're saying that the stock price is currently 200 and we're anticipating it to be 300 uh, in five years. And you basically do the simple math, 300 minus 200 is $100 difference, divide that into the 200 and that's your 50% return. So just some basic math to go through. We're definitely going to apply this formula to Apple uh, and, you know, be able to actually have a specific example. And then who knows, you know, what, what it actually looks like five years from now and see if, if uh, this, this method, you know, uh, is, is accurate. I mean, I can say from uh, previous years uh, that, you know, this is something that I've used to manage money and has, has been uh, very helpful 
if not, you know, relatively accurate, but with several caveats. So with that, it doesn't apply to every single uh, type of company, especially companies that are not profitable, uh, have not had consistent earnings or, you know, a track record. So when it comes to a company that just say went public last year, we, you can't use this method. Uh, there are different ways of, of valuing uh, different types of companies. So to recap, you know, uh, we're going to take a break here in a little bit. Uh, but to recap, in terms of identifying good companies, you're looking at companies with growing profits, a track record of that, good balance sheets where they have more assets than debts, and that they also have a good amount of cash that equals to or is greater than you know, their short-term debts, uh, and also uh, growing equity for its shareholders and positive free cash flow. And once you've identified that company, now then you can apply the value valuation method of figuring out what the stock price could be in five years to determine what your potential return is so that you know whether you know, uh, you're, you're, you're satisfied with that potential return or really feel good about it. Uh, it's not guesswork. You know, you, you're, you're doing your homework and you're figuring out you know, what you could potentially uh, gain with this specific investment. And compare that to others if you're, you know, applying this method. And so, you know, trying to get it as apples to apples, uh, particularly across industries. So when we, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to apply this valuation method to Apple. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, you'll really see how these, these numbers really work out um, and yeah, can be applied to all different types of companies. You're listening to... All About Goals Radio Show. Our topic today is all about investing. I'm your host, Tom White. We'll be right back. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. Many Americans like yourself are carrying credit card debt. If you're only making minimum payments each month, it's costing you a lot in bad compounding interest over time. So how much of your debt actually gets paid off when you continue to make minimum payments? Unfortunately, not a lot. But there is a better way to make your credit card debt go away faster. Payoff.com is the best place to get rid of credit card debt. Don't overpay for life insurance. You can save up to 40% with PolicyGenius.com. They compare quotes from America's top insurers to find you the best value. Compare and save at PolicyGenius.com. Let's face it, everybody hates fees. Now, SoFi has no fees on personal loans. That's right, no fees on loans to remodel your bathroom. No fees on loans to consolidate your credit card debt. See, no fees just feels good. Booyah! If you've got the drive, you can do a lot with no fees on personal loans. Booyah! 
Are you putting off getting life insurance because you think it's complex, expensive, and time-consuming? Are you concerned about leaving your family unable to pay the mortgage, college tuition, and medical expenses? Ethos is life insurance the human way. You can apply in minutes online at ethoslife.com. A 35-year-old can get $1 million of coverage for only $50 a month with Ethos. Don't put off the decision any longer. Go to ethoslife.com and apply in just 10 minutes. That's ethoslife.com. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. Uh, Thank you for listening to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. In today's episode, we're talking about all all about investing, Uh, kind of basic, uh, you know, valuation of companies, stocks, figuring out how to, you know, estimate what a future stock price is, uh, identifying, you know, what type of companies are good to invest in uh, so that, you know, it's, it's more stable of an investment and hopefully, you know, more predictable as well. Prior to the break, we, we talked about uh, what to look for in a company, you know, a company that has a stable, consistent uh, track record of growing its earnings, a company that, that has a solid balance sheet where they have more assets than debts, have a you know, cash position, a war chest that, that equal to or greater than you know, its, its short-term debts, and growing uh, equity for shareholders and also positive free cash flow so that they have money at the end uh, after paying their expenses to reinvest back into the company, if not even, as well as you know, paying dividends to its investors. So prior to the break, we ended with talking about a calculation, a method of figuring out what a target price is in the future so that you know what potential return you could get from a particular stock, from a particular investment. And in talking about this uh, uh, method, you know, we're gonna we're gonna use a a very specific you know company in this case Apple uh, and figure out what Apple could be worth five years from now based on its current metrics, uh, knowing that it's pretty much the most wildly held stock uh, uh, out there. Uh, so more than likely, if you own a mutual fund or ETF, you you own a piece of Apple um, uh, within those, and so. I'll go through the steps again and we'll apply uh, Apple's metrics. You know, step one is you calculate the five-year revenue growth, how, how the revenue has grown the last five years. And then you estimate then based on that revenue growth, what uh, the, the revenue is going to be five years from now by using uh, that five-year revenue average growth uh, to their current revenue. And then you calculate uh, their five-year net margin, what that's been averaging, to figure out you know, what their profits are going to be uh, five years from now based on that estimated five-year uh, revenue uh, target. And then you, you divide uh, the, the five-year estimate net income to the 
outstanding number of shares that they currently have. Uh, that'll give you the, the per share income of that stock of that company. And then you multiply that by the current or average price to earnings ratio to come up with a stock price five years from now. So we'll go through it step by step here uh, uh, with Apple. And once again, you know, the resource that I've been mentioning uh, that can, anyone can use that's free is Morningstar.com. And when you go to the key ratios of Apple, over the last uh, what's called trailing 12 months, uh, you'll see that as TTM, trailing 12 months, Apple's uh, revenue is approximately $294 billion uh, and $135 million, so $294,135. And over the last five years, you know, they've aver- the revenue has averaged about 9.4%. Uh, you know, that includes, you know, negative uh, uh, revenue growth in 2019 where their revenue was down 2%. So you can see the ups and downs and average it out to 9.4. And so when you then take that $294 billion and you use a 9.4 growth rate, five years from now, that'll equate to approximately $461 billion in revenue. Okay, that's, that's what we're... Uh, kind of estimating that the revenue is going to go from 294 billion to 461 billion five years from now using the 9.4% revenue growth. And then we take an average last five years of their net margin, which is approximately 21.48%. You know, that, uh, that fluctu- fluctuated the last five years going from 21.7 uh, most recently to you know, as low as 20.91%, uh, as recent as, as last year. Uh, so on average is 21.48. And so you take the 461 billion, you multiply it by the 21.48%, and you'll come up with 99 billion as the net income that we estimate in five years. Compared to today, based on that $294 billion in gross revenue, Apple's income is roughly $64 billion. So we're looking at it growing from $64 billion to $99 billion in five years. And then you take that $99 billion and you divide it by the number of outstanding shares, which currently is approximately $17,352,000. Now, we're going to use that currently because that's all we know. Although, you know, Apple, you know, could continue to buy back its shares, which means that that 17 million will go down. And if that number is less, that actually increases uh, their, their net income per share. But just taking that 17.352 million dividing into the 99 billion, you then get 5.7 or 5.71 per share. $5.71 per share is what we're estimating to be Apple's uh, net income per share. Compared to today, it's most recent, is at $3.71. 
So we're looking at Apple's earnings to grow from $3.71 to $5.71. So quite an increase. And then to get to the stock price, which is ultimately what, you know, investors want to know as as an estimated exit point, we take that $5.71 and multiply it by the either the current or average price earnings ratio. So the the current price earnings ratio of Apple is approximately 36 or 35.9. Over the last five years, it's averaged about 26. So, you know, you can use either, but just for purposes of of this exercise, you multiply the 5.71 income per share times 36, and you get approximately $204.84. That's the stock price we're looking at potentially five years from now. Today, now that the market is closed, Apple stock closed at $130.70. So based on those metrics and making an estimate, this formula says that we could potentially expect Apple's stock price to be around $205 a share five years from now. And, you know, doing the simple math of 205 minus the 130.7 uh, that the stock price is today, that equates to approximately a 56, 57% return, not including dividends. So, you know, as an example, if, uh, if Apple, say, you know, was generating a 2% dividend each year, over the five years, that's ten, another 10%. So total return you know, could be you know, 66, 67% without the reinvestment of that dividend and it compounding. So this is simply one method you know, to value what a stock could be you know, in the future. And obviously you can, you can use different number of years. You could do three years, you could do you know, 10 years. Uh, you know, the longer the track record of the company, the longer you can obviously go out in the future to use those averages. And you know, the key here is, first of all, you're just trying to identify some sort of an estimate to say, okay, is it possible for Apple to get from 130 today to 200? Well, this formula you know, says, yeah, potentially, if all of those metrics, all of those assumptions work out. Naturally, as each you know, year goes by, you know, you're going to track to see if some of these uh, uh, ratios you know, uh, change for the good or for the bad uh, to either enhance or, you know, or pare down your estimates uh, as time goes by. But it's better than hoping. It's better than you know, thinking, hey, you know, uh, Apple has done this much over the last you know, couple of years. I, you know, I think it could do it again. Uh, from the standpoint of just the the return of the stock. And that's not really the best way to value a potential investment in the future. You know, as they say, you know, past returns is not a guarantee or even indicative of what future returns are going to be. So having some sort of a method, and this is something I've used uh, for years, uh, to you know, identify p- potential investments and also uh, in terms of tracking what a potential return is. Uh, that's worked obviously uh, uh, for me and my clients in the past. But once again, this 
really applies only to companies with that track record. So, you know, a company that just went public a year, two years, three years ago, you know, this formula doesn't really work. Uh, just because it relies on specific metrics that the company won't have. Uh, you know, possibly even the fact that you know, s- some companies uh, that are much younger may not even be profitable for the whole time that you know, they've been uh, a public company. So, but there are plenty enough you know, companies out there, particularly the largest 500 largest companies to be able to, you know, uh, see what their track record is, be able to identify that they're potentially good companies because of their balance sheets, uh, because of their track record of earnings, and the metrics to be able to apply to this formula. So hopefully, you know, uh, this is this has been helpful and you know is is fairly straightforward in, in figuring out how to you know uh, use this in value evaluating companies across industries, because that's really, you know, what the, the purpose is, is trying to, you know, take one company, say in the oil industry, to something that's in the technology industry and trying to compare them almost apples to apples, uh, knowing that, you know, they have different margins. Technology companies tend to have larger net margins than, say, oil companies, uh, you know, because of the nature of their businesses, and so, to be able to try to compare them uh, as similarly as possible is key to be able to then translate that into saying, okay, this one says, you know, uh, I could potentially profit 56% in five years, another one, you know, 30%. And so, if you can get them almost uh, in parity in valuating them, then it's much more accurate a way of treating uh, two different types of companies. Now, that's not the only, you know, way to obviously make money in the stock market or, you know, generate returns. Uh, But this, in my mind, is the most common, uh, simply because it's not uh, dependent on specific events happening to each company. And when I talk about events, you know, we'll we'll go into specific types of events uh, in the next segment talking about arbitrage, talking about IPOs or initial public offerings in terms of, you know, how do you make money doing those? How do you identify what's a good company to invest in that's about to go public? How do you identify, you know, an investment opportunity with a company that's either being acquired uh, or, you know, less common, but a company that is acquiring uh, another company? And so, We'll we'll talk about specific examples as well of these kind of uh, uh, strategies that I've used in the past. Uh, um, one in particular uh, having to do with kind of an iconic American company, uh, Anheuser Busch, uh, that was purchased uh, by a Brazilian uh, uh, European conglomerate called InBev. You know how that particular merger and acquisition translated into, you know, profitable uh, trade or profitable investment in a matter of, of just weeks. So, I'll, I'll share that story and see how we could potentially apply that same you know, concept, that same strategy to uh, a potential merger that's outstanding right now. 
you know, that you may still have an opportunity to, to participate in because that merger hasn't closed. And in fact, you know, uh, there was news today that it could even be delayed potentially. And so added to the uncertainty of it, which translated to, you know, some, uh, some volatility in the price of the company being acquired that, potentially opens a, a door to, to investors uh, to participate and invest in uh, over the next few months. So, you know, when we return from break, we'll go into, you know, arbitrage, we'll go into IPOs, and I'll start to talk about the concept of buying down. Uh, and, you know, we'll probably extend uh, this episode of All About Investing into two episodes, potentially, since there's, there's a great deal to cover uh, and my hope is it's helping you uh, become a better investor as well. So when we return, we'll talk about arbitrage and IPOs. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. We'll be right back after a break. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. Many Americans like yourself are carrying credit card debt. If you're only making minimum payments each month, it's costing you a lot in bad compounding interest over time. So, how much of your debt actually gets paid off when you continue to make minimum payments? Unfortunately, not a lot. But there is a better way to make your credit card debt go away faster. Payoff.com is the best place to get rid of credit card debt. Don't overpay for life insurance. You can save up to 40% with PolicyGenius.com. They compare quotes from America's top insurers to find you the best value. Compare and save at PolicyGenius.com. Let's face it, everybody hates fees. Now, SoFi has no fees on personal loans. That's right, no fees on loans to remodel your bathroom. No fees on loans to consolidate your credit card debt. See? No fees just feels good. Booyah! If you've got the drive, you can do a lot with no fees on personal loans. Booyah! Are you putting off getting life insurance because you think it's complex, expensive, and time-consuming? Are you concerned about leaving your family unable to pay the mortgage, college tuition, and medical expenses? Ethos is life insurance the human way. You can apply in minutes online at ethoslife.com. A 35-year-old can get $1 million of coverage for only $50 a month with Ethos. Don't put off the decision any longer. Go to ethoslife.com and apply in just 10 minutes. That's ethoslife.com. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5787. 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Hello. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. Welcome back. Uh, this episode is all about investing. And the first uh, couple segments of the show, we talked about you know how to identify uh, companies uh, to, to invest in that are good potential investments, and also how then to you know, value and estimate what a future price, what, a fu- what your future uh, potential return is uh, on a stock. I mean, we know what you would be paying for it if you bought it you know, today, but then you know, what's a future stock price that you would look to sell it at to be able to you know, capture a gain, you know, get the return. And so we talked about, walked through kind of the, the, the valuation method I've used over the last 20 years, and we applied it to, uh, to Apple. Uh, and its current uh, uh, you know, price, uh, current metrics, and potentially what, app, what Apple could be worth five years from now. Uh, so uh, my hope is that that, that was helpful uh, and something that you can use across the board uh, to any industry, so long as obviously it's a company that's had you know, a track record of earnings uh, and, and earnings growth and, and also you know, metrics that can be used uh, for this formula. In our last segment here, uh, we're going to talk about two to three additional uh, strategies uh, that I've used as well. And, and two of these are very much kind of event-specific uh, the first of which is arbitrage. Now, arbitrage is the concept where when one company is buying another, typically that the stock will move upon that announcement, the stock of the company being acquired. So for example, you know, if, uh, if you have a company buying another where the current stock price says at $10, but the company that's acquiring announced that they would buy the same company, say, for $18, typically the stock will move and get as close to that $18 uh, uh, proposed price with the assumption that the merger is going to go through. And because if it does, then that's exactly what investors of the stock of the company being acquired would get. And so the arbitrage is where at times, the stock of the company being acquired does not necessarily trade or hit that target price that the acquiring company is saying to pay for the company that's about to be acquired. And so for a period of time from the announcement until the close, if that stock price of the company being acquired is not close to the acquisition price, that's where the investor has the opportunity to make a return, so long as obviously the merger goes through and goes through with the same terms of what was previously announced. So I'll give a very specific example uh, of you know, this particular uh, strategy I used. And this was back in the fall of 2008, in which you know, a classic American company, Anheuser-Busch, you know, uh, maker of Budweiser, Bud Light, was going to be acquired by another brewer, in this case, InBev, 
which is a Brazilian and Belgian brewing company known for uh, uh, brand names like Corona or Bex or Stella Artois. They wanted to buy Anheuser-Busch and they put in a bid at the time for $70 per share. And when an acquisition is announced, they'll typically also, the acquiring company will say in what form they're willing to buy the company. In this case, they announced that they're going to buy Budweiser for $70 per share in cash, which meant that if you're, if you were an investor in Anheuser-Busch and the merger went through, you would get $70 in cash, which you know, is as good as anything because in other cases, Many times, an acquiring company will use their own stock as the currency. And obviously, if they're using their own stock, the, the share price of their own stock could fluctuate you know, between now and, and when the deal happens, if not even thereafter. And so, if you only get stock, you know, the only way for you to really see uh, that, that uh, return realized is to sell that stock once, you, you know, once it's exchanged and you get it. But in this case, it's in cash. And so that takes out a lot of uncertainty. And when I was looking to invest in it, it was actually months after the, the merger was announced. And as it got closer, there was still some uncertainty as to whether you know, the U.S. government was going to allow a foreign company to purchase an American you know, iconic company. And as a result of that uncertainty, it then, you know, made the stock price drift away from that $70 per share target. In fact, when we bought it, we bought it at $60 a share. And so, because we bought it at $60 and, you know, we were anticipating that it would still close at 70, that essentially, you know, that $10 uh, difference provided us with approximately 16, 17% potential return. And, you know, I was betting on the fact that the merger was going to close. But then here's the, the fallback position as well, is that if the company didn't, if the deal didn't close, then we would still own shares of Anheuser-Busch, which we felt good about. You know, it was, it was a good company, great brand. And so we were okay with owning the stock, maybe, you know, it was, was going to be worth, you know, a little bit more, or even if it was a little bit less, we were okay with that. So, that was, that's the other part of the equation here when you're doing arbitrage is if the deal does not go through, are you okay with owning the stock of the company that, you know, was going to be acquired that ended up not being acquired? In this case, it obviously did. Um, uh, we're, we're uh, 12 years plus uh, uh, from that, and you know, the, uh, InBev's uh, done well with, with that acquisition, and we were able to generate you know, almost 20% return in a matter of three weeks in this case. Uh, so, you, know, you, you then uh, annualize that, and that's quite a bit of an annual return, uh, you know, um, knowing that it was in such a short period of time. Now, one particular deal right now uh, that's out there um, is Salesforce buying Slack. Uh, if you're aware of of this uh, 
potential merger. Slack is, is a technology company. It's kind of an internal communications uh, app that a lot of companies use to communicate internally uh, outside of email where it's more like instant messaging and you can you know, attach documents, uh, uh, files, and so on. Very efficient way for teams to communicate, particularly you know, in this uh, era uh, of work from home. Salesforce being the kind of the, the behemoth in, in, in the um, you know, database uh, uh, field, uh, particularly for uh, you know, CRM, customer relationship management type of software, you know, made a bid for Slack for approximately you know, $27 billion. And just today, uh, there, was, there was news that you know, the, the government is wanting more documentation, more information about this merger before approving it. And so that has, you know, added some uncertainty to it. But still, it's looking like it, it would close by, by July in, in about six months. And so with the current uh, valuation that, you know, Salesforce is, you know, uh, bidding for Slack of approximately $27.7 billion, that translates to about a $49 per share price. Uh, the current price for Slack is approximately $43.40. So if you make that math, that's a potentially 14% return. Now, in six months' time, that's not bad. You, know, you annualize that, that's a 28% annual return. So there is still potential in this deal. And you know, what you have to understand uh, as to how to look at it is, you know, the the actual, um, the actual, I guess, currency that Salesforce is using in this transaction is that they're going to pay twenty six dollars and seventy nine cents in cash, and then on top of it, approximately, you know, seven point uh, zero seven eight shares of their own stock, Salesforce. Now, based on Salesforce current price, you know, it's only looking like you know, uh, a 6% return. But that's where you need to understand that you know, what Slack is going to hold Salesforce to is the, fi- the ultimate number of $27.7 billion, not necessarily the 0.7 seven, eight shares of Salesforce, because that was just based on what Salesforce stock price was at the time of the announcement back in December. So that's where you're still looking at a 14% return based on the 27.7 billion uh, price for Slack. So that's how arbitrage works. And there are situations where, especially if it's a merger, either of equals or you know, very much in the same industry, there's not, there may not be much of an opportunity for arbitrage because the, you know, the, the mergers may be very uh, obvious. It may be, you know, um, uh, something that is, is kind of a given uh, to where there wouldn't be a lot of uncertainty, including, you know, government uh, uh, approval. But across industry, sometimes there may be, especially where there could be a potential competitor that comes in as well. You know, we've seen that when Comcast, uh, um, uh, you know, 
and AT&T and Disney were all uh, buying for uh, 20th Century Fox. And so, you know, it can get very volatile. But here, being very clean with just two parties, you know, it it makes it a lot more predictable. And chances are this merger is going to go through. Uh, So, you know, current investors still have the potential here. Now, when it comes to an IPO, you know, that's, that's a very different type of event and, you know, different type of investing. And there are certain assumptions you need to kind of know going in. One is that you, you really can't uh, value a potential exit point uh, for an IPO. You know what it's going to you know, go public at for the most part. I mean, there's a range. Uh, and, you know, these type of events, you know, are, are uh, fast, fast and furious where, you know, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard of IPOs where a company, you know, doubles its, its uh, uh, stock in, in the same day that it goes public. Uh, but there are some that didn't do anything uh, uh, in the short term. So, if you're looking at investing in IPOs, one, you need to know that you really can't uh, put a, a value point uh, immediately on it. And it's something that you need to go into thinking long-term, uh, especially where, you know, if this is a company, a brand uh, that's going public, it's because they want to expand, uh, you know, their, their operations, their capabilities, uh, their market share. And so, this is definitely a longer play, as well as the fact that you have to also accept that whatever you're paying for it is not going to be cheap. There, there's just no, no way to, uh, uh, you know, buy uh, uh, into an IPO that's cheap. That's the whole point of the IPO is all the hype, you know, getting it uh, ready to go public and all of the pomp and circumstance uh, that goes with it uh, to pump up, you know, uh, the, the press uh, for that event. So, it's very much to be a long-term play. And the type of, you know, IPO I participated in the past uh, one, there are characteristics that are not typical of IPOs. Uh, so the one that uh, I participated in was in Visa. And this was, uh, once again, you know, back in 2008. Uh, and it wasn't uh, you know, a high flyer, new you know, company. I mean, Visa's been around uh, since the 1960s. And so, you know, finally, at that time, they were looking to, to go public. And just before that, MasterCard went public as well. And around that time, UPS, United Parcel Service, uh, which you know, has been around a long time as well. So, those were the type of IPOs that I prefer just because you've got a lot of information about the company. Uh, you know, there's no question it's a brand and that, uh, you know, they were going to, to do well uh, over the long term. And so, you know, looks like we're going to have to extend this into the next episode uh, 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 next week. Join me in, in talking about, uh, you know, the story behind Visa's IPO and also uh, a strategy called buying down. I hope uh, this has been helpful. Uh, we'll continue this next week. And same time, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Radio Show. I'm your host, Tom White. All about goals, happy achieving.
Thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of All About Goals. Please join Tom White and another guest next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you achieve your financial goals one program at a time. 